0: There's a story I heard of a retreat that was taking place in America um, quite a number of years ago, being led by a senior teacher in our insight meditation lineage, Jack Kornfield. And on this retreat, he came in one day to the staff, Um, lounge and one of the staff members asked about one of their friends who was attending the retreat. And uh, he said, how's my friend doing? And Jack responded that this friend was doing very well and happy to hear that. uh, The staff member asked about someone else they knew on the retreat. How are they doing? Jack responded also, oh they're doing very well. And so someone else hearing this asked, Jack, what about my, my friend who's on the retreat? And again, the response, they're doing very well. So the first staff member wondering about this said, Jack, what exactly do you mean by doing very well? And Jack just smiled and responded. He said, they're still here. <laughs> and I think we can have sense sometimes in the experience of being on retreat how true that is. But just to still be here is actually an immense achievement in many ways. And uh, what we recognize or what we start to see is that this process of being on retreat is remarkably challenging in many ways. Just as our life is challenging, so too is a retreat. And we kind of come up against a sort of a hope or perhaps it might even be a fantasy that we carry with us whether consciously or not that our spiritual practice our retreat our meditation will somehow be a smooth and linear progression from chaos and struggle and conflict to ease and well-being and peace and joy and of course, how lovely it would be if this was so but it seems that for most of us what we experience is a a process rather than of moving simply from a difficult condition to an easy one but a process of encountering our life and that process of encountering our life really asks us a number of significant questions and one of those questions is Are we willing to open to this? Are we willing to open to our life? And perhaps this question underlies, or our response to this question underlies a lot of how we experience a retreat in those moments when we are willing to open to this. We find that things move and flow. And in those moments when we find ourselves unable to open, we feel stuck, we struggle, we find, perhaps, resistance. And so I'd like to explore a little this evening the, the nature of that process, of how we actually open to and how it is also that we close down in relationship to our lives in the context of what we're doing here on retreat. We have the invitation, the opportunity to discover that we can truly transform our life. And this transformation comes very much in the way we learn to meet it and how we respond to what is experienced. Now some of the primary responses that we notice uh, as Martin spoke about yesterday evening the sense of moving towards that which we want grasping after that which is delightful or enjoyable or withdrawing from pulling away from that which is difficult or painful there are a number of different ways in which this goes on one is that we see how the mind moves moves towards, moves away from. As well as the movement of the mind, we can also notice, and it's actually very useful to notice at this level too, the way our body responds and how physically, physiologically, we actually contract and open in relationship to experience. Because it's often through getting in touch with the more physical felt experience that we actually develop some degree of malleability, of fluidity within our process. Much of what goes on in the reactivity is the enactment of very primal and uh, primary sort of animal instincts of uh, pursuing, chasing after and running away from. And some of that Plays itself out in the kind of a reasonably well known psychological sort of constructions of fight and flight. How we sort of sometimes puff ourselves up, how we struggle with, how we attack things that seem to be in our way. Or at times how we kind of withdraw from, shrink away from, seek to avoid that which is difficult. And this is something that um, is, is useful to notice, and it, it actually. It actually takes place, as I said, on a very physical level sometimes. There's ways that I find it kind of useful to reflect on how that happens. There's a way in which we, when we actually feel threatened, we sometimes try and make ourselves somehow larger than we are. If you've ever observed a cat when it's been scared by another cat or a dog, then if you've seen how they, they, they stick all their fur on end and they look about twice the size that they normally are. When we're exposed to something scary we often feel a tingling on the back of our neck and interestingly it's our own body trying to do the same thing to make the hair stand on end as the expression and what it does it makes us look bigger as though we could somehow by making ourselves look bigger scare off something that's threatening us. And at other times what we do rather than trying to kind of get bigger, we try and shrink, we contract, we tighten. And there's a, the, uh, the North American opossum, that's kind of an interesting animal in this regard, it actually when threatened plays dead, since most of the things that eat it only eat live prey, live catches, so if it can pretend to be dead quick enough, they'll leave it alone. Of course there's a few problems with this, you could guess. Like, imagine that if uh, whatever it is that wants to eat it decides that actually it's going to eat it anyway it's plain dead it's lying there immobile there's not much it can do Um, and I mention these things that they're kind of you know we might find them curious or even laughable in the context of the animal kingdom but at some level we do the same thing and it's useful and important to understand how that works how we sometimes kind of in a way play dead to that which threatens us or how equally we try and pass ourselves up or kind of expand ourselves to try and ward off something that's threatening and again just as a, another sort of example from the animal kingdom which I kind of enjoy there's a, a fish in the uh, waters of northern New Zealand where I grew up it's called a puffer fish and it's a reasonably ordinary fish until it's threatened by something. When it's threatened by something, what it does is it sucks a whole lot of water into this bladder it has inside and it puffs up and becomes two or three times its size. So it's kind of interesting when it does that because actually if the fish that was attacking it wasn't that much bigger than it, it'll realise, oh this is too big for me and leave it alone. But the problem is it can't swim very well when it's full of all this water. So again, it kind of loses its mobility. And that's a lot of what happens to us, whether we shrink or we try and kind of somehow puff ourselves up. We lose our mobility, and how we do this, we can see in the way we we think and the way our thoughts actually start to respond to circumstances. And there's a, a story. It's, a, it's actually a, a true incident I'd like to relate to you that I think illustrates. Particularly in the sight of the sort of a, the puffing oneself up in the face of threat, but I think rather wonderfully. It's an actual transcript of a radio conversation between a U.S. naval ship with the uh, Canadian authorities on the coast of, off the coast of Newfoundland in October 1995, and it was released by the Chief of Naval Operations. And it begins with a communication from the American ship: "Please divert your course." fifteen degrees to the north to avoid a collision. The Canadian response was we recommend you divert your course fifteen degrees to the south to avoid a collision. Americans, this is the captain of a US Navy ship. I say again, divert your course. You have that sentence captain of a navy ship. It's kinda of like sort of puffing up a little bit, showing how tough it is. The Canadians, no, I say again, you divert your course. The Americans respond, this is in capital letters, so one sort of assumes they're shouting or something like that. This is the aircraft carrier USS Lincoln, the second largest ship in the United States Atlantic fleet. (laughs) We are accompanied by three destroyers, three cruisers and numerous support vessels. I demand that you change your course 15 degrees north. That's one five degrees north. Or countermeasures will be undertaken to ensure the safety of this ship. Canadian. This is a lighthouse. <laughs> Your call. <laughs> and there's something rather sweetly and humorously and yet also very familiar (laughs) and recognisable in that story where we see how when we face something that seems to be threatening to us what we do is we push out against it often we fight against it we kind of want to get rid of it we've kind of reflected some already on how that is a problem because life is the way life is we can't make it be other than as it is no more than the lighthouse can get out of the way of the ship it is the ship that has to adjust its course just as it is us we who need to learn to accommodate and to respond to the way life is rather than insisting and demanding that life changes. Because if we do that, we will experience a collision inevitably. So this process of reacting against, of trying to push away, trying to block out, or Alternately, for some people, a sense of shrinking away, of trying to become invisible in some way or form. This actually has an effect of hardening our hearts, hardening the very vibration of our our being, we could say. Both physically and energetically, there's a sense of becoming contracted or compacted or solidified. A losing of a sense of moisture, of fluidity. And uh, we begin, and often in life we again connect. We begin our life remarkably sensitive. And we are incredibly sensitive beings. We can be touched so profoundly by simple things. A kind word can make us feel so happy. And a harsh word can devastate us. a few degrees variation in the temperature and suddenly it's really cold and we're uncomfortable and miserable and we think I want it to get warmer and then of course if the temperature gets turned up it doesn't take that long before suddenly it's uncomfortably warm we're taking off our jumpers and thinking who's in charge here of the heating don't know if that's happened on this retreat, sometimes it happens heating goes from hot to cold not constantly taking off and putting on the clothing but there's a sensitivity to being human and it's hard for us to actually live in the context of the sensitivity so often what we do as a response to it is actually start not intensely not consciously intentionally but we actually start to become distant and actually numb to the sensitivity of our life to actually feeling feeling our life deeply and what happens when we come on retreat, we come along thinking, hoping, wishing praying at times, that we're going to actually be able to find the sweetness the peace, the beauty, the happiness that we yearn for without actually having to go through any of the difficult aspects of our life and yet what happens despite our wish, despite our hope, our prayer even what happens is that as we start paying attention as we start connecting, as we keep coming back into our experience which is what we're doing what we're doing is coming back into our experience again and again consciously, noticing where we react against it noticing where we're moving away from just what is here as we start to do that what we start to do is sensitize what we start to do is to begin to actually bring a degree of moisture of life, in fact into the experience of our immediate moment-to-moment life and this this process of consciously inhabiting our experience has the effect of beginning to awaken our heart, awaken the sensitivity of feeling at all sorts of levels both physically we start to become more sensitive in terms of our feeling of the emotional life we start to feel its vibration more keenly we start to notice equally our our, we could say our mental sensitivity to how much there is that we want to be different want to control, want to fix we start to see and sense that And our practice in this is really to go into that, to enter this territory, to explore it, to see what we can discover in that journey. Because although it seems at some level to make sense to us, again we don't do this consciously I don't think, mostly, but it makes some sense to protect ourselves from being impinged upon by life. And perhaps when we're very young we need to because life can be overwhelming and we don't have the resources of our adult, mature being to draw on when we're children. So we kind of learn the habit of protecting, of defending, of closing down, of withdrawing, of hardening. And in doing so, although we do it initially for our protection, what we experience is that that protection that we build around us, actually that armoring we create to defend against the world, actually becomes a prison in which we find ourselves caught. A prison in that we find ourselves bound or limited or contained within this sense of contractedness, this hardness, this lack of sensitivity, this, this fear, or this inability, fear of, or inability to actually really connect, to actually really touch and be touched by our life and to receive what our life is offering in each moment. So learning to actually open to it, to see that we have to be willing to step out of the relative or apparent safety of the familiar and the sort of distant relationship we have to our experience because we see that it's not satisfactory and that it's limiting, that it's binding. I had a quite a remarkable experience once for myself and that it really quite struck me how, how much this is so. When I was uh, walking one one day in the woods near a retreat centre in America, that, uh, the Inside Meditation Society, a sort of a sister center at the Gaia House, as I was walking there through the woods near the um, near the pond, across the path, suddenly I saw a few yards in front a snake, and I stopped completely still in that moment. The sight of a snake. We don't have snakes in New Zealand where I grew up, snakes, so snakes is scary business. And there's lots of stories in the Buddhist tradition about snakes and ropes and the importance of being able to distinguish one from another. But um, I won't go into those right now. Um, <laughs> So it is really useful to be able to distinguish. Sometimes we see a snake and think it's a rope and we could get into trouble. Other times we see a rope and think it's a snake and uh, although there's no danger at all we can be very afraid. But on this occasion I saw a snake and I could see a snake and had this kind of shiny burnished brown skin with all the scales and I stopped, dead still, didn't appear to be moving so I took a quiet, gentle step closer there seemed something strange about this snake so I took another step and I realised it was a snake skin was no snake can it so the stories about snakes and ropes and imitation or well, that whole thing came to mind but then what struck me was that snake had to get out of its skin wow, that must be tough and why would it, why would it have to do that? It's like that which is its protection and armor against the world, in effect, also becomes its prison. It's the nature of armor. It's the nature of having a hard shell or a protective covering, like a scaly skin. For a snake to grow, perhaps you know this, Um, for a snake to grow, it has to shed its skin. Otherwise it'll die trapped within something that won't expand. It protects it but it cannot grow within it. So regularly snakes shed their skin. And when they come out, they come out soft and I suspect relatively tender and vulnerable to any passing hawk. And it's kind of an interesting metaphor for what happens in practice. In order to be able to grow beyond our limitation and beyond the sense of armoring or defendedness or rigidity that we unconsciously create around ourselves for protection, we have to be willing to actually step into the territory in which we are vulnerable, in which we are sensitive, in which we are a little bit more juicy. And this is not easy today. And yet this it's something we are asked to be willing to engage in. And we often, in order to be able to do this, have to really question and understand the places. Challenge of discomfort, of vulnerability, of being exposed to the difficult in life. We can really believe, be um, deeply convinced it seems, that if we did it right, if everything was the way it should be, then we would not experience pain or discomfort. That there would not be any of this. And that the fact that there are difficulties, challenges, pain in body, heart or mind is somehow evidence that something's wrong that we've made a mistake or that we're not good at it this thing called life or this thing called meditation or whatever else and we often use the presence of the difficult to somehow negate, demean, judge or criticise ourselves or someone else and I think it's useful just to reflect on this. it is inevitable that we will experience the difficult in our lives there is no way around it the Buddha spoke often of the fact that we are subject to birth aging, sickness and death all of us go through these things our body passes through that cycle of birth aging, sickness and death all of us and in that it is challenged. It is difficult. It's hard at times. It's not because something's wrong that we go through that. It is how it is for body. At times our hearts also are touched by things that are not easy for us. Again, the Buddha spoke of pain, grief, sorrow, lamentation, and despair. And one hears that thinks so. Gosh, that's not what I came to meditation for, you know, I'm here on retreat. So they said on the advertisement for the course, you know, come along. Birth, old age, sickness and death, lots of pain, grief, sorrow, lamentation and despair, you know, it wouldn't be a lot of people signing up, would it? <laughs> and we're not saying in that that therefore, you know, we're trying to make more of this, but just acknowledging, how this happened. Sometimes it happened to me, to you, to each of us. And I I mean, despite the fact that at one level it seems obvious to us that, yes, this is part of our lives. At another level we can really cling, I think, and understandably, cling to the sense of hope that we could somehow avoid all of this. If we found the right spiritual technology or the right whatever, if we've gone beyond the idea that sort of material circumstances, jobs and relationships and um, houses and cars are going to do it for us because we've seen that you know, there's a certain value and usefulness in all those things and appropriateness, should we choose to um, engage in all that um, and yet ultimately it's not going to do it for us and yet we often come thinking that somehow spiritual practice is a way around all of that difficult sticky stuff about being alive. So there's, again, one reflection that I find useful for myself and I'd like to share that kind of, for me, cut through very clearly the idea that we could avoid this. And it's quite simple. It goes like this. If you love something in this life or someone, at some point you'll be parted from this or that thing. If you love something or someone, you will at some time be parted from that. Whether through intention, Accident, or ultimately death and in that parting, it will be painful for the heart there will be grief, there will be loss, there will be sadness that is without question and if you don't love something in your life or someone if there isn't love in your life in any form that will be painful, that will be grief and there aren't any other options really so again, this isn't to try and emphasise, you know, doom and gloom. Sometimes, you know, Buddhism gets a sort of bad press around, you know, all this emphasis on suffering. It's more like let's be honest. Let's see. Oh yes, this is here. If we're not honest about that, we can never find our freedom in the midst of it, and we'll continue to look for our freedom somewhere else, where it is it's not, and we'll never find that place because we'll keep on departing from the truth of our life in search of something else whereas acknowledging this reality means turning back towards the truth of our life with a real caring with a compassion for ourselves to actually allow ourselves to touch and be touched by life to feel those places of tenderness to touch those places where we feel vulnerable or afraid or sensitive or raw and actually get to know their life to see that in the experience itself, although it's challenging to us challenging to us, it is not in itself the basis of the suffering. It's actually the disconnection from our life that occurs when we try and escape it or suppress it. It's the hardening and the rigidifying of our of our being that is the suffering. That is what the resistance creates or the attempt to escape, generate. So coming back into our experience, it's like we come back again and again into our body. Some of what we experience in our body, due to physical conditions, due to emotional conditions, some of what we experience in our body is uncomfortable. Due to environmental conditions, of temperature, of the what we're in contact with, These things we experience sometimes as difficult. And because our body as an experience is at times difficult, we tend to depart from it. If you wonder why you spend so much time in your mind, and we all do, until we start really training, cultivating our capacity to be present, we're so often lost in the thinking. Sometimes a significant part of the reason for that is because it's not easy to be in our body. Because we haven't actually made peace with the bodily reality that includes, at times, the difficult. Though it's not just that. What also happens to us, and tragically, when we disconnect, when we push away, when we depart from our experience, because some of it's difficult, (coughs) because aspects of it are painful to us, what we also lose touch with is those aspects of our experience which are rich, which are nourishing, which are sweet and precious. And we feel the loss of that in the disconnection, in the distance, in the hardness. So we're asked when there is pain, when there is discomfort, when there is a sense of vulnerability or fear to actually turn towards that experience with care, with kindness to actually allow ourselves to feel into this what's it like when that's going on are we willing to meet it to embrace it because to embrace it is to embrace our life and to reject it is to reject our life and to do this we of course have to address some very deeply conditioned and programmed habits the habits primarily of always seeking for the pleasant, trying to avoid the unpleasant and the difficult and with that one of the most useful and important things to explore and to understand is our relationship to fear the power that fear has in our lives for most of us at least some of the time so much we want to avoid that which we fear If we ask ourselves how much of our life has been spent avoiding that which we fear, trying to escape, to get away from that which we fear that is present, trying to prevent the arising in the future of that which we fear. How much time have we spent, how much energy? It's a process that can consume us and that drives so much activity. We see the underlying currents of anxiety in our world and how they're kind of intensifying in the culture of the moment the busyness and the pressure and how the attempt to somehow bring an end to that fear through often violence, repression and force seems to only lead to more fear to more pressure on each person and individual so with looking at the experience of fear which is so much of what makes it hard for us to be with the difficult, we are afraid what are we afraid of? often we are afraid that if we do not resist or fight this experience it will overwhelm us, it will annihilate us or it will define us and we will become that whether it be some particular emotion that we are seeking to avoid feeling, that we don't want to become Or be defined by maybe sadness, maybe anger, maybe confusion, or grief, or loneliness. Different things we feel at times. Or whether it be just something physical, pain in the body. We often relate to it as though it would continue forever. to learn to be with it just now for a moment to see that that's possible for us because in the moment that we're here it's here, we're here in this moment we can be with it we can't be with it all week or for the whole thing it's not possible because it hasn't happened yet and we're not asked to be with it in that way but seeing that fear has its power through telling us or projecting a story about the future of what will happen and how that will be but it's actually something that's happening right now fear is an experience that's happening right now and it's something we can actually meet and feel directly and get to know what it's like if we can meet fear or any other difficult experience but often we have fear in relationship to all difficult experience so it's the first thing we need to address there in resistance, there in avoidance if we can actually meet the fear and get to know what it feels like, it's really unpleasant but actually it's something that can be felt, can be met and to actually meet it with a sense of care, of kindness is to take away a lot of its power to see how the view we have the idea we create that this experience will continue that it's always been this way we see. that's a a thought arising of of how how we're feeling unhappy about something dissatisfied and then we start to think gosh I've always thought like this I've always had these sort of miserable depressed thoughts I'm really depressed and miserable in fact my parents were always depressed and miserable I'll probably have miserable children you know we have this sort of this idea that it's going to always be like this or my knee hurts it's going to get worse I can tell you know and we're starting to imagine the ambulance pulling up a guy house and taking us away in a stretcher because the mind just moves so quick it's trying to escape from the immediate experience that's difficult but in the attempt to escape it somehow magnifies the difficulty of it it doesn't successfully remedy the situation if we come back and say oh yeah, this is uncomfortable this is not easy well this is not flattering we see that we're kind of filled with um, jealousy or, or greed and we think, hmm, that's not okay, I shouldn't be like that. I don't like myself. Other people won't like me if I'm like this. We try and suppress it. Because we're afraid of the view of ourselves that we feel compelled to form around that experience. And yet to see, these experiences just arise. They don't actually define us. They're just experiences. And they come and go. If we can see that, if we don't actually need Push away at the experience. And as you look at it, what we see is that these experiences are not so personal. And this is important. It's not just happening to you. It happens to all people. One of the wonderful things that sometimes happens in the small group interviews, someone talks about something and and you can see it feels like it's happening for them. And everyone else, you know, I'm struggling with my mind, I can't do it. I'm sitting here, you know, I look around, everyone else is so calm, so peaceful, I can't do it. And the next person says, but same thing's happening for me. I can't be mindful, I can't be present, my body aches. And the moment you hear that you're not the only one it feels all right, oh, okay, not something wrong with me. It's what happens. There's a sense of it being personal it starts to dissolve and that sense of it being personal is what actually makes us struggle against it because that is what or the way in which it somehow seems to define us so actually seeing the experience that arises the difficult experience is an invitation to open that's what it is an invitation to open to begin to cultivate a relationship to your experience that is a relationship that's actually nurturing, that's nourishing, that's caring and that is actually also going to be transforming So when the experience arrives we explore what it means to be with to open to an experience to let ourselves feel that which we call pain or discomfort that which we recognize as difficult emotions or unpleasant mental patterns and actually just notice that they're there we don't have to get rid of them but nor do we have to somehow use them to define ourselves we can just see oh, this is happening and be aware how in that we can sometimes do it with a subtle agenda we think, okay, I'll just be with her I'll kind of be friendly, I'll be nice So long as it goes away, you know we're kind of getting a bit more spiritually sophisticated, but it's pretty much the same thing. It just, you know, get out of here. At some level, if we want any result to arise from being with it, we're not really being with it. We're somehow again putting pressure on our experience. We're somehow pushing, struggling, fighting with our life, and to really be with the experience is to actually not have an agenda for what happens next and this is where the transformation comes but it can't come when we're trying to manipulate it as Ram uh, Ramdas once said you can't be with it in order for it to go away because it knows And it's true, it's really just a subtle aversion or resistance to an experience. And that really requires from us an unconditionality, learning unconditionality in our relationship to experience. We think of unconditional love as something that would be wonderful to receive if we could be loved just for who we are, just how we are, accepted with all our knobs and warts and problems and neuroses how nice that would be what would it be to offer that to ourselves not some kind of nice idea of oh I'm going to love myself just as I am for all time that might not be our experience sometimes we might have reactivity but in the way we respond to in the way we meet our experience to actually trust it to actually trust our experience enough are willing to meet what's there? It might be confusion. It might be uncertainty. We might be doubting whether there's any point to doing any of this. Can we meet that? Can we meet that experience? Because that's our life right now. Or we might be feeling completely disconnected. Just totally out of touch. Cold. Or numb. Feeling nothing. Can we meet that? A remarkable thing happens if we're willing to meet... Disconnection. connection we think I have to get to connect I have to find something to connect with but if we're looking for something else again we're missing where we are when we don't feel connected can we connect with that what's it like to feel not connected not very pleasant but if you can let yourself feel that not pleasantness that is the basis of connection and when we actually start to connect we realise we start to see that even connecting with something really difficult, there's something in that that touches us. There's something in that that's real, that, that we can feel as significant, as profound, in fact, because we're actually trusting the truth in that moment. We're actually meeting the truth in that moment. And in that meeting, something in our being resonates. Something in our being comes home because we're no longer pulling away, we're no longer shrinking, we're no longer hardening or tightening. And of course, we will do all those things on occasion and perhaps regularly throughout our sittings and our days and our years of practice. But the more and more we see that process and understand what happens in those moments when we can open, when we can turn towards our lives and trust them, trust our lives trust our own heart's capacity to grow beyond its limitation, to not be confined by our fear or our hesitancy. As we actually start to trust that, life becomes more fluid itself because that connection is like the lubrication of our life. It's like the fluidity of our life. It gives the space that our life needs. When we're tight, when we're hard, when we're contracted, resisting, fighting, pressuring, we feel that physically, we can notice it. So many places of tightness we encounter when we sit. Sometimes physical pain in our bodies when we're sitting has to do with the posture and the fact that it's quite maybe unusual for us to sit in a certain way, not moving. But a significant amount of it is to do with the way we hold tension in our body as a way of trying to control our experience trying to control the emotional life trying to control the sensitivity of the body and heart and in the stillness, in the quietness in the deepening conscious relationship that is happening whether or not we notice it happening these experiences start to reveal themselves start to show themselves often it's discomfort we don't have to fix them we don't have to get rid of them. But to actually care for them means to meet them. To care for ourselves means to meet ourselves just as they are. And to see what is possible in that meeting. To perhaps even ask us, what, what is this experience? We might have a name for it. We might know what it is. We might know us That's okay. We don't have to name it but just that sense of what's happening here, it's like bringing a curiosity and interest to it. I mean, where do I feel it? What does it feel like? So we're really coming into our body. In working with difficult experiences, the body is one of the greatest resources we have. Because often what happens with the difficult experiences, it generates a story, we start thinking about something in some way triggered by the experience. If it's say, a physical or emotional um, experience that's uncomfortable, it's painful for us or threatening to us in some way, we often find ourselves thinking about how it happened, how we got here. And we're not just thinking about that randomly. We're trying to figure out how we got here so we can figure out how to get out of here or how to prevent it happening again, how to create the conditions in the future to prevent the past repeating. Or if it's a pleasant experience, we're, we're busy thinking about how I got here so I can make it happen again you know you ever have a moment of peacefulness of calm we're already present we think ah I've arrived oh how no and then the next moment it's like okay what did I do because I sat with my left leg in front of my right leg this time because I didn't have a cup of tea just before because I uh, because I sat down in a sofa instead of doing the walking now instantly we're thinking about whatever it is we did so we can do it again of course in all of that we've immediately lost You lose contact with the actual experience. And with the difficult experience, coming back into our body and feeling it is the place in which we find the middle way, the path between the extremes. Dharma practice, the Buddha's teaching, is described in summarized as the middle path between extremes. And in this case, between the extreme of avoiding or denying the experience on the one hand, or on the second on the other hand, becoming lost in, caught in, defined by the experience, we often think that these are the only two possibilities. That our experiences either we suppress, resist, deny, or we become overwhelmed by it, lost in and somehow feel ourselves to be defined by the experience in the way we get caught up in the story we tell ourselves about it the definitions and the views about ourselves that it generates and yet if we can actually just acknowledge what's happening that this is discomfort or this is anger or loneliness or whatever and actually say what does it feel like if we can be with that in our body and make space for it allow it to be felt then we're in touch with the experience but we're not overwhelmed by it nor are we disconnected and to notice in the body how there can at times be very clear areas of intensity that reflect what's going on in our experience sometimes pleasantly intense sometimes intense in a difficult way for us a challenging way and to actually explore what, what is possible for us to be with that as a felt physical experience. Sometimes we can go right in, very close to the difficult or the painful. Sometimes it's more useful to give it space and just gently feel around the edges till we feel more at ease, till it's not resistance or fear. And yet, if we notice resistance or fear to the experience, just turn towards that, make space for that, feel that too. We don't have to spend too long there, but just acknowledge it and if it seems useful we maybe explore it a little and in this way the very attention the very care and this is care expressed in action it's care that allows us to experience what is there it also gives space it allows it to move that the reason we get caught with experience is that in contracting around it 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 seems to get locked into place and then we fear it will be like that forever and yet it's only our resistance that locks it into place when we open to it it begins to move and in that sometimes of course it may seem to get larger it doesn't mean it just goes away but once we allow it to move it can do what it needs to do and what it asks of us is to be there for that there's a poem by Wendell Berry I think it speaks rather sweetly about this I go among trees I go among trees and sit still All my stirring becomes quiet around me like circles on water. My tasks lie in their places where I left them, asleep like cattle. Then what I am afraid of comes. I live for a while in its sight. What I fear in it leaves it, and the fear of it leaves me. It sings, and I hear its song. When we allow ourselves to be still, and so much of our movement is because we won't allow ourselves to feel what comes when we are still. We allow ourselves to be still. That which we fear reveals itself. And if we can stay steady and connected in the presence of that, the fear begins to dissolve. The fearfulness is taken away from the experience. And life reveals itself. It moves it sings and we hear its sounds it speaks to us of our life and in this in this we perhaps begin to sense something of the lawfulness and the innate wisdom in our life that brings us at times into contact with the places we have closed down because it wants us to wake up because our life is actually yearning be fully alive. And the places where we disconnect and close down become dead places in our heart. And we feel them as suffering, as pain, as loss, as contraction. And yet feeling into that, we actually reclaim our life. We reclaim the territory of our heart and our journey could be understood in one dimension is an opening to our life, the opening of our heart, the learning to inhabit our life unconditionally. And as we do this, as we actually learn to inhabit our life unconditionally, what we discover is that our life becomes unconditioned. that the peace that is possible in life is not the absence of the difficult but the willingness to meet whatever comes to allow it to move as it does and to discover in that that life passes through that when we don't resist the difficult moves through and the quality and the depth of our connection to our life and to each moment reveals to us a simple and yet profound dimension of being, of presence, of aliveness that is not in itself conditioned by what happens, by what goes on. And that offering this to ourselves is actually a profound act of kindness. So if we just sit quietly for a moment or two, please. May your practice and presence through these days lead you deeper into your heart and the very heart of being itself for your own welfare and the welfare of all that live. May all heart be open and awaken into life.